0: And I'm excited to jump into Jude with you. We have been in a study of the book of Jude going verse by verse and really the entire uh, book of Jude. Although there's um, several places throughout the New Testament, actually almost every New Testament book includes warnings against false teachers. Jude is the only entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to warning uh, the church against false teachers and false teaching and false following. Uh, believers who um, pretend to be Christians or even maybe deceive themselves into believing they're Christians, but yet their lives do not um, give evidence to that reality that they are truly saved. And so we've been studying this book, it's been a weighty series, and hopefully next week we begin to lift out of the heaviness and into some encouragement, but today is going to be another, uh, another strong uh, warning, Okay. So we're going to jump in and we're going to be in verses 16 through 19. And, um, and, and we're going to read that together and then we will pray, okay? Are you ready? All right, now we're kind of jumping right into the middle of something. So just know that he's describing these um, ungodly, uh, false teachers. Okay, here he goes, verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the people in this room, for brothers and sisters and visitors and guests, Lord, that we all get to come together gathering to worship you. Father, I pray that um, you already this morning would experience a blessing from our praise and I thank you that your spirit is among us. Lord, I, I thank you for your word and, um, and your word to us, your warning to us through Uh, Jude. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would allow us to become people who can discern, um, but then also that we'd evaluate our own lives uh, to see whether or not this describes us. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that you would guide my words and my speech, that I would rightly divide the word of truth, and that it would be edifying to the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, come do uh, whatever You want to do. We surrender this time to You. We give You our attention, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus promised um, that His presence in the life of a believer would make a difference in us. And we see this in John 7. I referenced this passage a couple of weeks ago. In John 7, it's towards the end of uh, this big feast, and John, uh, Jesus says in John seven thirty seven, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, Now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so what we see in this is that He says um, the Holy Spirit in you will change uh, your life. He says this is about uh, those who would receive the Holy Spirit that had not yet been given because He had not yet been glorified. But we are standing on this side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Jesus has been glorified. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. And for us, the Spirit-filled believer is marked by flowing rivers of living water. That what comes out of you is refreshing and a blessing to those who hear. Now Jude, in our time today, in these few verses, he's contrasting that with what flows out of a person who is devoid of the Spirit. The title, devoid of the Spirit, comes from verse 19 where it just ends and says that these people are devoid of the Spirit. That this is a characteristic of someone who doesn't even have... The Spirit of God. And so there's only one point today, and we're going to unpack this. Uh, One point does not mean the sermon will be short. I promise that. But the whole idea today is this, that the Holy Spirit changes your talk and your walk. That the Holy Spirit will change your talk and your walk. Okay, And we're going to look at both of those, the talk and the walk, all right? And so in this case, he's going to give us the negative example. And we're going to see how we can be warned against that and, um, and walk in a different way. So the Holy Spirit will change your talk and your walk. The first thing is your talk. And what he describes now in verses 16-19 through 19 is the speech of the spirit Someone who doesn't have the spirit. And he says in verse 16, these are grumblers... Malcontents following their own sinful desires. They're a loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Let's just go one by one. He says that they're grumblers. Or maybe your translation says a murmur, murmurers, which is such an interesting word, murmur, murmur. And it's, it's, in the, <laughs> murmur is one of those onomatopoeia words, isn't it? It's like it sounds like what it is, murmur. That it, it is a low uh, grumble, it is a low complaint, murmur, murmur, murmur. And the murmur in the uh, Septuagint, which, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the same word to describe what the Israelites did in their 40 years in the wilderness. So when, Jesus, when God uh, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and they're going through the wilderness, the wilderness was supposed to be a short season uh, between their slavery and the promised land, and they extended that primarily through their uh, murmuring, their grumbling. So shortly after they were freed, as they're traveling through the wilderness, they begin to complain and grumble. It says that they were hungry, and so they grumbled, and they're like, oh, Moses, you just brought us out here to kill us of starvation. We'd be better enslaved. At least we could eat. But now you're going to kill us out here like God brought you out here to kill you. That's why He brought you out here. Murmuring. And so then, after God sent them manna, food from heaven, you would think that would like quit that. But no, then they're like, well, now we're thirsty. We have all this manna and it's a little salty. And so we need some, something to drink. And so God sends water from a rock and, and gives them drink. And you would think that would have satisfied all. Nope. Because after a little while, they begin to grumble again. And this time they're grumbling, well, we don't have any meat. We used to have meat when we were in slavery. But we come out here and all we have is this bread from heaven. That's all we get. But now we want meat. And so they grumble. And God even gives them meat. Quail just start flying and falling from the sky. And he gives them meat. They begin to get discontented with how Moses and Aaron are leading them. And they grumble and murmur uh, against the leadership uh, that God has given them. They get to the edge of the promised land. I mean, they have made it through the wilderness. They're getting ready to step into what God called them to. And for some reason, they send spies in because I guess they don't believe that God could really take them into what he promised them. So they send spies. And the spies come back. And as you know the story, the majority of the spies, 10 out of 12 of the spies, they come back and like the land is great. The grapes are huge. The jo- the, but their people are big too. And uh, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes because we're so small. They're so big. I don't think we can do it. And it convinced the majority of the nation. And what did they begin to do? They began to murmur, 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 grumble and murmur and complain. Oh, Moses, you brought us out here just to kill us. They murmur. And it was that. They didn't believe God. That he could bring them into what he promised them. They murmured and they complained, and so God said, "Okay, you're just going to die in the wilderness. You're just going to die there." And so he killed off an entire generation. Psalm 106:25 says they murmured in their heart, in their tents, and did not obey the voice of the Lord. See, murmur is not it's quiet, but it's not necessarily private. So it's not just something you keep to yourself. You grumble and complain to others, but it's kind of more like in the tent, like in a room. Hey, come here. Did, I, did, I, did you hear? Did I tell you? Can you believe? 1 Corinthians 10.10 10 says, don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. That it's their grumbling that caused them to end up perishing in the wilderness. And so this disposition, one of a grumbler, a murmurer, is like a cancer. And it's deadly to effective ministry. It's deadly to a healthy church life. It leaves someone always judgmental, never joyful. Maybe uh, you know some people like this. Maybe you are some people like this. So he goes on grumbling, murmuring. That's kind of a low. That's kind of a low grumble. But then it says malcontents. Malcontents. This is properly a, por- a complaint over an allotted portion. It's two Greek. It's one Greek word made up of two that I'm not going to try to pronounce, okay? But here's what the two words that make up this word, malcontents, means. The first part means to blame. And the second part means one allotted fate or life. And so it's someone who is... Uh, always complaining about their lot in life. I'm upset about how things are going. There's nothing I can really do to change it, but complain about it. Always grumbling about life in general. Never content. There's this old story, this old tale of um, this elderly man and this boy who are going on a journey with their donkey. And they're... uh, They're walking their donkey, um, the older man leading the younger boy, kind of following behind. And they walk through one village on their journey. And the villagers begin to say, man, that's so foolish. You've got this donkey. No one's riding the donkey. That's just a waste of a donkey. And so the old man's like, okay. So then he gets up on the donkey. And so the the boy's walking, and, um, and and the old man's riding. They get to the next village, and that village says... How cruel of that old man to make that little boy walk like that. I can't believe that he would do that. And so the guy's like, okay. So the guy, older guy gets off. He puts the boy on the donkey and he begins to walk as the boy rides. And they get into the next village. And the, the villagers there say, I can't believe that boy's riding while that older man is sitting there walking. That's crazy. And so he's like... Okay, and they say, maybe you should both get on the donkey. So they both get on the donkey and they're riding the donkey together. They get into the next village and those villagers, they say, how cruel of them. Two people on one donkey. I cannot believe they would do this to the donkey. And so in the next village, you see them, the boy and the elderly man carrying the donkey. Right? It's like, it's like what? You, some, you just can't please everyone. Sometimes there's people, no matter what the situation, they're always discontent. There's always something that they can find to complain about. And that's the idea here. But the thing is that God hates complaining. See, because complaining insults God and it attacks His sovereignty. See, complaining tells God that you're not satisfied with His care for you. You say, God, you know what? You're not doing a good job at caring for me, one of your children whenever you're grumbling and complaining about everything in life. And here's the thing about grumbling and complaining is that it's not a knowledge issue. It's not like they don't know uh, God's word. It's not that they don't know what God is doing. It's not a knowledge issue primarily. It's a feelings issue. It's how I feel about the situation. So it's not that I, I don't know better because I know better. It's that I don't feel good about this. I don't feel like God has my best in mind. But that should not be the attitude of the believer. See, 1 Timothy 6.6 Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That being content in life, whatever your lot in life, that is how the believer should live. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things... Without grumbling or, com- or disputing or complaining. Do all things. So the life of a Christian is marked by the absent, absence of grumbling and complaining. It doesn't mean you like everything, it doesn't mean everything goes well for you. It, the, the idea of not grumbling says nothing about your circumstance, it doesn't mean it's always going to go your way but it's how do I respond to circumstances whenever they do not go my way? Am I going to let God know I'm, I'm and everyone else around me that I am unsatisfied with how things are going? Or am I going to choose a contentment? Choose patience in it. Choose joy in it. So the life of a believer is one that is overflowing with rivers of living water, uh, not grumbling and complaining. And then it goes on to say, verse 16 again, that they are loud mouth boasters. Loud mouth boasters. So they're loud and they're boasters. They boast about all types of stuff. It seems like there's people that always want to one up your story, right? You, get, you, te- you tell them about something you're trying to share your life. You tell them about something that happened in your life. Man, this was really cool. And they're like, oh, yeah? That's nothing. Let me tell you about what happened to me. And it's like, that's nothing? <laughs> Great, I just wasted my breath, right? It's nothing. And, and, and there's this comedian that tells this uh, joke about how, you know, you have these people. And he's like, I've just always wanted to be the person who walked on the moon. So that whenever I'm at a dinner party and everybody's telling all their stories... And they've got some great stories. After it all, I'll just be like, yeah, I walked on the moon. And it's like, you're going to one-up everybody. That's the idea. It's like, my story's always better than your story. I've got to always be talking about myself. Loud-mouthed boasters. They are big talkers who talk about themselves more than they talk about the Word of God. Their arrogant words here most likely refers... To what they claimed was true about God, but yet it contradicted the revealed Word of God. So these people are boasting about their ideas about life or spirituality. They're loud about it. They're articulate, great orators, but yet, but yet it's contradictory. To what God has revealed to us. And that's what he wants us to warn uh, about. You know, Paul says, I do not boast in anything but that of, of Christ Jesus. Like if we are going to boast, don't boast in yourself, but boast in the Lord. Loudmouth boasters. It says that they're showing favoritism to gain advantage. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. Maybe your translation says, flattering to gain advantage. Flattering, it's it's kind of the same idea. So flattering is, um, it's compliments that are insincere. Flattery is uh, inherently manipulative. They're nice things to say, to say to somebody, but they're for the purpose of getting what you want. So a, a genuine, sincere compliment is you saying something good or nice about someone or to someone. Um, and it's, it, it, you really mean it. You really mean it. Flattery, though, is you saying something nice to someone, a compliment, but you don't really mean it. Now, you don't show that you don't mean it. it is, it's not visible that you don't mean it. But you're saying things that you don't truly mean in your heart to, to make others feel good about themselves, But the purpose is manipulative. It's uh, for this sake to gain advantage. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord uh, Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So these are people who sound good and they make you feel good about yourself, but really they're only in it for themselves. And uh, my brother Jared and I, he's a youth pastor, and we uh, have these conversations about different things Things and one, we recently were having a conversation about these people, primarily like prosperity preachers, who who um, say the most erroneous things about God, and about um, ab- about the Bible, and about spiritual things. I mean, so wild. And we wonder. We were we were like because we were watching some of these clips together. And it just makes you sick hearing what some people say about God. Um, But here's the thing, they're speaking to full rooms. The the whole room is full and they're leaning in and they're laughing and, and amening and all right. And they're saying crazy stuff. They're saying things that make people feel good about themselves. They're smooth talkers. They're flattering people. But yet, they're only in it for their own advantage. And and we were just like, what? How can people, how can people like stomach this stuff? Well, he tells us right there, smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And, And Jude doesn't want us to be naive. He wants us to be discerning. That's my goal for us, church, is that we would be discerning in these things. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Someone who's um, good at flattering is someone who's good at destroying lives for their own advantage. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So these are people who depart from the truth of God's word. Now, now I'm not saying that they don't reference the Bible. Goodness, do they reference the Bible. But boy, is it out of context, and is it out of sound doctrine. It's, It's disgusting to see, but the idea is that it's almost like the presence of these teachers with a large audience is a judgment on the audience it says these people there's going to be people who are looking for people to itch their ears tell me that god wants me healthy wealthy and wise tell me that if i just have enough faith things are going to go well for me tell me that like promise me everything that my flesh wants And that's what they're doing. Flattering. Verse 18, um, if we're studying their talk, verse 18 says, They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers. Scoffers. A scoffer or a mocker. A mocker. There's a common heresy of the day, in Jude's day. They believed that the body, being matter, was evil, and therefore it, um, it made no difference if you satisfied your fleshly desires to the full. It didn't matter because they kind of detached that from spiritual things. They also argued that since grace um, could forgive any sin, that sin didn't matter. So they kind of detached the body, the flesh, from the spirit so that anything that I do in the flesh doesn't really affect my spirit, and so I can do anything I want. And if I do something bad, there's always grace to cover that. And so what that caused is that they believed that there were, they were progressive thinkers. And they regarded those who observed the old moral standards as old-fashioned and out of date. Oh, you old fuddy-duddy. Don't you know? Don't you know we don't have to do that? Don't you know that there's grace for that? Don't you know that what you do in the body doesn't affect your soul? These are lies. And what happens is they, they begin to mock those who desire to live holy lives, who desire to live righteous lives. Hey, so, so here's the thing um, uh, that God uh, invites you as you are. Like he's, you can come as you are, but. Part of that invitation is that he doesn't want you to remain that way, that he's inviting you on a journey then to become holy, become righteous, become more like Christ. This is only in the power of the Spirit and in the work of God in your life, but the call to follow, he's like, just as you are, you don't have to clean up yourself to come to me, come just as you are. But here's the thing, walking with me is going to bring you into more and more holiness more and more righteousness and so if we can deceive ourselves into thinking that I can continue to walk with Jesus and never grow in holiness we have deceived ourselves and that's what these mockers would say that you are old-fashioned that you are too traditional 2 Peter 3.3 also warns and says, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And that's what we see here, is that there's there's a difference between fulfilling their own sinful desires versus fulfilling the desire of the Lord. And that's really what the next thing is. So that's their talk. That's the talk of the of the person who is spiritless, devoid of the Spirit. they murmurers, malcontents, discontented, complaining about everything, loud-mouthed boasters. Here, listen to me. Talking about myself more than the Word of God. Showing favoritism or flattering to gain advantage and mocking those who don't come with them. And then their walk is verse 16 following their own sinful desires. He, he restates the same thing in verse um, 18, where he says, following their own ungodly passions. That they're following their own ungodly passions or their own sinful desires. And, um, and he's giving us contrast here. The spirit-filled, spirit-led versus the spirit-less. Galatians does a good job at uh, giving us this contrast. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes to contrast these two people, those who walk in the Spirit versus those who uh, pursue the desires of the flesh. So Galatians 5, verse 16 says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Let's just stop there. Fits of anger? Because I think many of us, we read this list and we're like, yeah, it's not, not me, not me, not, not me. Nope, nope, nope. What about fits of anger? Right? That's among the list of all the other, like, crazy things. Idolatry, sexual immorality, anger. So just, just remember that. Um, whenever you blow up yelling and screaming and fits of anger... It's in the list of things walking in the flesh. Let's keep going before you get angry at me. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is the life of someone who is pursuing their own sinful desires, or ungodly passions, as Jude says. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, put to death, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's contrasting these two very different ways to live. You can walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desire of the flesh, and he describes what that looks like, or you can follow the desires and the passions of your flesh. The motto for this person is: "If it feels good, do it." How can it be wrong if it feels so right? That's the idea. And so these are people who follow their heart more than they follow God. Just gonna follow my heart. Love is love. Just gonna do what it feels right to me. You know, I kind of prayed about it, and it feels all right. I feel I feel good about it. Well. That's a dangerous place to be. Titus 2, one and 12, 11 and 12 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so uh, we've we've discussed their talk and their walk is, I'm pursuing what feels good to me. And as we said, that's, that's why the part of the problem with uh, some of these false teachers is that they preach to you a gospel that promises you everything that your flesh desires. That is a false gospel. The gospel, the true gospel calls you to die to yourself, to crucify your flesh, and to live to Christ. Alright? So they're following their ungodly passions. This is their walk. They're dividers. Look at verse, back to Jude. Verse 19. It is these who cause divisions. Divisions, dividers. Division, and I've heard it said, the division is like division. It's two visions. The idea is that um, I have a different vision than you. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to cultivate, I'm going to stir up my vision, although it's contrary to your vision. In the the context of the local church, that God has given a a vision or a mission to the local church. And these people come in and they say, well, there's something different. It's, It's a different vision for what God wants than what God has given to the church. How do they divide the church? I'm glad you asked. We've already read it, how do they divide the church? Here's how, grumbling, murmuring, complaining, boasting, flattering, mocking. This divides the church. See, we think these things that come out of our mouth are just little, I just told one person and I told them not to tell anybody and they told five people and told all those people not to tell anybody. And those five people, they told one person and they told them not to tell anybody. Like, that's how it happens. It's this grumbling and murmuring. I'm just going to murmur to a couple of people. And that's going to begin to turn the hearts of the people away from the mission that God has given the church and to their own sinful desires. They divide people into two major groups. The group one is those who um, adhere to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God, and those who depart from it. Those are the two groups those who accept the apostles teaching the word of god as authoritative and those who reject it and walk away from it there's too much bible there they just they're all about the bible you know what that but they believe that the father the son and the holy bible at that church yeah um, well we don't worship the bible Here's the thing. The Bible is the words of our Lord to us. Like, yes, I treasure them. Yes, I take them seriously. Yes, they, they sustain my spirit. It's not about a, a book with paper and leather. and It's not about that. It's about what it's communicating from the Lord of the universe to us, His creatures, who He wants to have a relationship with. Yes, I, I value these things. And I'd rather, I'd rather um, treasure the Bible then diminish its value. And so here we are, they're dividers and they're worldly people. Worldly people. Now, uh, worldly people, uh, so, so the world in the Bible, and I've taught you this before, the world in the Bible can mean three things. Uh, it can mean the planet, all right, the world, the planet. It can mean the people. So like God so loved the world, he wasn't talking about, I love the trees, I love the planet, I love the seas. He was saying, I love the people. Planet, the people, but then there's the principles. And so whenever you see, like, um, the world is set up against the spirit or worldliness, it's someone who who has adopted the principles of the world that have set themselves up against the lordship of Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's not all these little things that religious people call worldly. That's not it. Man, I just watched a video. Someone sent you know this video that um, it was this preacher that spent a good little portion of his sermon preaching at the top of his lungs against beards. There's some churches you go in there and there's just beards everywhere. Beards. And we're not going to be worldly like those worldly churches who have beards. Like really? Really? That's the, that's the worldliness that we need to be concerned with, that our, that our beards are drawing us away from the Lord, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you, you have adopted the systems and the principles of the world that have set themselves up against the Lordship of Christ. You've abandoned the principles of the Lord, the principles of the Bible to guide your life. They're worldly. They look more like the world than they do like Jesus. They fit in with the world more than they do with Jesus. And they're devoid of the Spirit. Right there at the end, they're devoid of the Spirit. Which um, indicates to us that they're unbelievers. So these are not believers who, who just do some bad things. These are people who don't, aren't even saved. And we know that because Romans 8 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That if you don't have the spirit in you, then you're not a child of God, you don't belong to God. And so when he says they're devoid of the spirit, they don't have the spirit, he's saying they don't belong to God, they're not saved. Titus 1.16 says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. That they, they would claim to be religious, they'd claim to be Christian, they claim to believe the Bible, but they deny all of those claims by how they live their life. That their life looks totally different than their proclamation or their profession of faith. And so here's the, here's the question that I have. And so I'm not accusing any of you of being devoid of the Spirit, but I do think sometimes that we probably. Um, Don't walk in the Spirit as much as we probably need to. And uh, this uh, question has kind of haunted me, and and I, I want it to haunt you now, okay? Could you continue to live your life the way you do if the Holy Spirit was removed? So think about how you live your life. If the Holy Spirit was removed, would your life change any? Or could you continue to do what you do? That question helps us kind of gauge whether I'm walking in the Spirit or not. Whether I'm being led by the Spirit or not. Is he influencing the the decisions I make, the way I raise my kids, the way I treat my spouse? the financial choices i make how i treat people on a daily basis could you continue to live your life the way you do if the holy spirit was removed and if you if you're like a church person you might say no no i can't you know it's all god you know god empowers me to do everything but honestly does your life look much different than any of your unbelieving friends they're devoid of the spirit so what should we do? What should we do? Well, he says there in verse seventeen, you must uh, remember. You must remember. Uh, There's some things that we need to be reminded of. That um, you know, a lot of ungodliness comes whenever we f- forget the things uh, that God has taught us. He says, "Remember, beloved. Remember that you're beloved." And it's just the sweet. Um, heart of Jude for the the church here. In verse 1, he says, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So you are loved if you're in Christ. We're not earning his love. That's not the point of this message that you need to go and earn somehow right standing with God. That you are beloved. He says, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a prophecy the apostles made. And he says, remember that they're their prophecy is true, and um, the, the prophecy is, um, the, the specific prophecy that he lifts here is probably an oral tradition passed down, but it does summarize or characterize what the New Testament teaches about these false teachers. But he wants you to know that these guys are coming. Remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions, it is in these that cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the spirit, so he is saying, "Hey, don't be surprised by their presence." That um, that knowing can help you prepare. You ever seen? You ever seen? Um, there's all these like viral videos now of these people like in slap fights. You know, what I'm talking about. It's like arm wrestling but f- slapping. These two people stand across the table from each other and they just slap the stew out of each other. It is nuts to watch, right? Have You ever watched the women's division? This is nuts. Why are they doing this? Here's the thing about this is that um, although like getting slapped in the face is unpleasant, they can prepare. They know what's happening. I came, I signed up for this competition. I'm going to get slapped in the face. Um, or, or maybe maybe more kind of common would be like those tortilla challenge you know I'm talking about those are happening now, and you feel you know two people or i've seen so, several people fill their mouth with water and then they slap each other with tortillas and then spit water on each other and um, yeah, the slap still hurts the knowing the knowing does not diminish the um the pain necessarily, that it still hurts, that it's still unpleasant, but it gives you time to prepare. You, you can prepare and predetermine your response, because I'll tell you, if someone came to me out of nowhere and slapped me in the face with a tortilla, I might not have the most godly response, <laughs> right? But if I stepped into a challenge I could prepare myself for what is to happen. I feel like this illustration is falling apart. But <laughs> the idea is that it's still unpleasant, but you can prepare for how you're going to respond to it. And, and, and so many times, like today in our day, it, it's like, I can't believe churches are doing that. I can't believe churches are saying that. I can't believe churches are teaching that. I can't believe this. What is our world coming to? Amen, amen, I agree. It's sick, all right? But he says, don't be surprised. I told you this was gonna happen. I told you it was coming. You should be prepared for it, how you're gonna respond to it. Jesus warned us about it in Matthew 7 and Matthew 24. Paul warned us in Acts 20, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3. Peter warned us in 2 Peter 2. John warned us in 1 John 2 and chapter 4, and June warns us in this entire letter. The, the idea is that the entire New Testament is warning us about these people that are going to go astray and teach others to do also. And it's in effect that the false teacher's presence in the church is a confirmation of Scripture's truth. You ever thought about that? Us witnessing these things happen in our church culture. Church is doing crazy things against the Word of God that we can say, man, God's Word is true. He told us it was going to happen, and here it is happening. Prepare for it. Respond to it appropriately. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following the ungodly passions. He says this is a prediction of the apostles. 1 John 4, 6 says, we are from God, the apostles... um, John writing, whoever knows God and listens to us, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For by this, we know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's like, how do you know if someone's devoid of the spirit or filled with the spirit? What, what they do with the apostles' teaching, what they do with the word of God. And he said, there's some who are not going to listen to us. They are devoid of the spirit. And there's some who will listen to us and they are filled with the spirit. And so, which category are you in? What is your attitude towards the word of God? Do you obey it? Do you listen to it? And he says here in the last times, in the last times. Now we love to talk about the last days. I think we're close to the end times. I think we're close to the last times. I think the last days are upon us. Well, here's the thing about the last times is that um, the last times encompasses a period of time between when Jesus ascended to heaven and whenever he returns. That's the last times, Okay. And so we've been in the last times for the last 2,000 years. We're not approaching the last days. We're in the last days, right? And so, man, I wonder if we're in the last... Yes, we're in the last days, according to what the Bible teaches. These are the last times, and things are happening the way that he said they would happen. In uh, 2 Timothy 3, he says this, But understand this, that in the last days, we're in them, there will, be, there will come times of difficulty, we're feeling it, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. What? Disobedient to their parents? No. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having appearance of godliness but denying its power. It seems like this denying its power in the context is denying its power to change their life, to make them holy. So they have an appearance of godliness, but it doesn't change their life. It doesn't have the power to change who they are. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. So these false teachers, they creep in and they, they lead astray those who are weak and naive. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we've got to know what's going to happen and, and discern, have discernment. My, my goal in this series, in this, in this study of the book of Jude, is not to cause us all to become fault finders, right? Where we just go around and we're looking for people like, I heard that in Jude, like, no, he's, he's not, he's devoid of the spirit. And he's devoid of the spirit. And you're a false teacher and you're a false follower. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is not to go around fault finding, trying to figure out who is in and who is not in, and who's a false teacher and who's not. The idea is for us to just have discernment. Not be naive, not be easily led astray, but to be discerning. But the other application for us is to evaluate. I need to evaluate my life Examine yourself, Paul says, to see whether you're in the faith. I need to make an examination and evaluation of my life. Do these things characterize my life? Do I talk like this? Do I live like this? Do I think like this? If we've looked at the Spirit-less talk and walk, what does the Spirit-led talk look like? If I shouldn't be talking like that, how should I be talking? Three things. Spirit-led speech is this. It's unifying, not dividing. It's unifying. Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We should be eager to maintain, to build and, uh, and work to protect the unity. So it's unifying speech. Secondly, it's edifying. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So here's a good like, gauge. Is this spirit-led speech, is it edifying? Is it encouraging? Am I building someone up? This is not flattery, okay? Don't say nice things to people that you don't mean. That's lying. But we should... We should edify people. We should sincerely encourage people. You should do this for your husband. You should do this for your wife. You should do this for your children, right? Build them up. Edify them. And, and number three, it's glorifying. Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And So is, is my speech bringing praise and glory to God? Is my speech unifying? Is it edifying? Is it glorifying? How do I get there? Maybe today, as we've talked about the grumbling and murmuring and boasting and all those things, you've been like, I, I I'm I'm guilty of some of that. I think all of us, even those filled with the Spirit, we're guilty of some of this. What do we do about it? Remember this, Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Okay? Make it easy to remember. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Matthew 12, 34 says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That if you have a speech problem, it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of a heart problem. And so if I'm going to address my speech problem, I've got to first address my heart problem. If you want to change your speech, you need to change your heart. So how do we do that? Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. So, he's like, the speech, the godly speech, the unifying, edifying, glorifying speech, that comes from a, a heart that is dwelling richly on the words of Christ. Remember the scriptures. Uh, Saturate your heart in the word of God and in the presence of God. Psalm 374 says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. How do I change the desires of my heart? I delight myself in the Lord. I, I spend time in the presence of the Lord, in prayer and in His word, and allow it to begin to change my heart. And whenever it says, "Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart, it's not saying he's going to give you all the things that you want. He's saying he's going to give you new desires for your heart. And so delight yourself in the Lord. Dwell on the words of Christ richly. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so our first priority should be seeking God and his kingdom and allowing him to change our hearts. And that will change our speech. I think whenever we realize what we have in the Lord, it diminishes our desires for other things. That part of the problem of the Israelites who were grumbling and complaining through the wilderness is they just lost sight of what how much God had given them. And they only were looking at the things that God wasn't giving them. And so whenever I find myself grumbling and complaining, I need to set my mind, set my eyes back on what do I have in the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek first his kingdom. And I believe we'll see our speech change as a result, our lives change as a result, okay? It's only Christ in us that allows us to be transformed. Would you bow your head with me? Father in Heaven, I just thank You for God, a time in Your Word and and this thorough teaching, a warning against false teachers, but also, Lord, it's a warning against false following. And we've been taught today the characteristics of someone who does not follow the Spirit, who is not led by the Spirit. And Lord, we don't want to be that. And so, Father, I just pray that we would set our minds back on You, that our hearts would be um, saturated with Your Word, Your truth, Your presence, that we would delight ourselves in the Lord. And God, I pray that as we do that, we'd see You just transform our speech and and our walk, God. Father, I pray for the person in this room whose they've never trusted You, and maybe they've they've never even considered themselves a a born-again believer or follower of Jesus. I pray that today, that they repent from their sin, turn from pursuing their selfish, ungodly desires and passions, and that they would embrace Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. That they'd experience the love and warmth that comes from a God who says, I'll take you just as you are, but that you'd begin to transform their heart. So I pray that today they'd repent and believe on Jesus Christ, that they'd find new life, that they'd experience a river of living water rush into their heart and then overflow from their life. So Holy Spirit, we need your help this week. God, I pray that you'd forgive us of where we failed you this week in our speech and in our conduct. And I pray that you'd help us to walk with you daily, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.